The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to save money. My job is not just to entertain, but also to educate and to teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Now, look, these ridiculous weekend traders that were going nuts... Uh, they just can't help themselves. They panic and they assume that the absolute worst is going to happen no matter what. <laughs> Dumping everything rather than waiting until Tuesday, today. Now, I can't really blame them. They read the headlines about Ukraine, then obliterate the futures, betting they can get out relatively whole down 2 to 3%. Yes, that's what they were Sunday. And then they hope that, well, you know what? They'll sell them Sunday and then buy back at the crash Tuesday. But they're rarely right, and they're wrong today, too. market fell nowhere near those 2.3% losses. Dow only shedding 483 points. Sounds like a big number, but nowhere near that. S&P plummeted 1.01%. NASDAQ was only down 1.23%, much less than where these future hounds panicked and ran out the door. Another learning lesson. I laugh at these scaredy cats who only mess around with the broader indices and assume that everything in there has to trade like, say, Philip Morris International. You know, it's the only member of the S&P 500 that will truly be impacted because it's got a big business in Russia. 499 that won't be, one that will be. Don't get me wrong. Vladimir Putin is a very bad guy. And like so many aging dictators, I think he's apparently losing his mind as he gets older. What he's doing in Ukraine is horrible, even if thus far he's only going after one border region where Russia's been arming insurgents for years. But you need to treat every sell-off as a learning experience, not a panic one like we saw Sunday and Monday by the professionals who trade futures because stocks were shut down for the president's holiday. Oh, we can. What did, what did I do? Well, I dutifully studied both price levels and price earnings multiples to figure out whether these stocks will get knocked as low as the futures indicate. I figured that the levels where my favorite stocks would be attractive. I knew what they were going to be. And then I kept my bat on my shoulder and I waited. I had a game plan for members of the CMUC Investing Club, arrived at in the peace and quiet of my home, and I stuck with it because sometimes that's really all you have. Now, why did I go through that process this weekend instead of having some fun? I don't know. I, because I wanted to be ready, that's why. 
My goal was to get the best prices for the stocks I like in my charitable trust. I was hoping the breakdown in the futures by the scaredy cats would give us those prices, like a sale for merchandise that I love but had been too expensive. Notice what I didn't say. I didn't say I wanted to be ready for a Russian invasion of Ukraine. I did not talk about trading Ukraine. Now, look, I don't know. I didn't say what I'd do if this is just an incursion versus an invasion, similar to what Putin's done in Georgia and Moldova in the past. I don't try to game out what Russia would do or how the Germans or the French would react or how the United States sanctions would respond. That's unknowable. I don't know about it. I can't. But I have to accept there are just far too many variables in aging dictators, and therefore what I do is arrive at my own game plan. Now, what I can tell you is that nobody knew how the Ukraine situation would play out this weekend or tomorrow or the next or the next day. So anyone who tries to take preemptive action by selling the futures is a moron. You see, I'm not saying that I don't care what will happen. Obviously, it matters. I'm saying that we have cash for the travel trust and we're looking to put it to work at ridiculously low levels that I always wanted, but I really never expected to get because things were pretty good for a while. I think you need to be opportunistic here because I fundamentally believe that our world order will not be turned upside down by Ukraine during the next six to nine months, which is the time horizon that I use for the trust. I know the market's terrified. It's really amazing how negative it is out there because Wall Street's figured out that Biden sanctions won't do much, which means they won't deter Russia. But I bet we'll look back on the selling and wonder how we could have believed that a war in Ukraine could be a kind of existential threat to our economy that could cause a cataclysmic reaction in our markets. Instead, I think it will cause a sell-off in everything, even as only a few of those companies are actually involved with Russia. Most businesses will be totally affected, and you need to be ready when that sell-off happens, the real sell-off. In other words, we're getting our ideal prices, which is a good thing for your portfolio, not a bad thing. I, I, but I, I don't think we're done yet. And again, I want my prices, even if they're given to me by Putin's ultimately undeterred invasion. As I said in the morning, Monday morning uh, show that I put on at 1020 for club members only, my first choice is to buy, when I always look at my charts, are to buy the companies that just reported. So we actually know how they're doing right now. I was off last week, but Cisco and Walmart both reported tremendous quarters. Cisco simply blew us away with a much better than expected set of numbers and excellent guidance that shows you maximum visibility. It's highly unlikely there could be a huge fall off in sales if or when Putin invades Ukraine. Cisco sells at a reasonable 16 times earnings, lower than the average stock in the S&P 500. It has a 2.7% yield. The goal here would be to buy the stock below where it was trading before it reported. That would put it at 53. Unfortunately, notice I said that. Unfortunately, it wasn't knocked down enough. So now on Cisco, bat on the shoulder. Second, Walmart, same deal. It was at 133 when the company gave you a stellar quarter in fabulous outlook, and the stock zoomed. Truly spectacular. Again, though, the stock only fell by a buck and change to 136, not low enough to lower our cost basis for the trust. You always want to buy things cheaper so you can lower your basis. That's good portfolio management. Now, there's no use being too aggressive here because we don't know what's going to happen. Anyone who tells you they do is wrong. And you don't need to buy stock you don't want to. Sometimes it really is better to sit on your hands and wait for lower prices. In fact, I was more interested in doing some selling this morning when the market went up much higher than the, week, than the weekend's futures indicated. Uh, but that's, uh, well, it didn't go up or stay much long enough. Had I decided, by the way, to lose my discipline, and to actually start buying stocks up, well, I would have lost a ton of money for the trust. I don't play like that. That's why I always say discipline trumps conviction. Now, I truly do believe that in the end, Putin will invade and the market will get hit again. But I have my levels and I will be ready. You should do the same. If we don't hit those levels, then don't participate. Do not chase. 
Of course, there are some stocks that are entirely unaffected by Russia. For these, I have my Bristol-Myers theorem, something I drummed up at my old hedge fund where I used to crow, what does the crisis du jour have to do with the price-to-earnings ratio of Bristol-Myers? BMY being the quintessential example of a company that will make money no matter what goes wrong in the world. I think that healthcare stocks in general and pharma stocks in particular are terrific buys, provided once again you're being disciplined, waiting for good prices, not just buying every day like a fool. Now, you might ask, why didn't I take advantage of the earnings reports today, the positive one from Macy's, the not so positive one from Home Depot? The issue is simple. On a down day, I have no desire to pay up like you would have had to do with Macy's, a stock, by the way, that ultimately ended down a point in change, proving my, my discipline point. And when I see a stock like Home Depot down 9%, I have to believe that smart sellers are anticipating downgrades from Wall Street research analysts. Maybe tomorrow is the day. See, in the end, the favorite stocks I just mentioned didn't come down, though. So I took a pass. No harm, no foul when you do nothing. But you have to understand that you're now getting a chance to buy some high-quality stocks well below the 52-week highs and at some levels that are genuinely cheap, as you hear about some stocks tonight. But they could get even cheaper as the Ukraine situation unfolds. Sure, they're cheap for a reason, but that reason has nothing to do with their underlying business. Ukraine's just not that plugged into the global economy. Oh, by the way, for all their bluster, Russia isn't either. The bottom line. When you get a geopolitical induced sell-off, you have new rules. You have to be ready to do some buying unless you think the event in question could be cataclysmic. I don't think it will be. And if there's something that truly goes awry, or for heaven's sake, if there is a nuclear war. By the way, something I feared every day of my life in the 1950s and 60s. I guarantee the last thing you'll be worried about is your portfolio. Rob in Indiana. Rob. Booyah, Kramer. This is Rob from Indiana. Good to have you. A long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, stock I'm considering uh, buying some more of is ticker BYND, Beyond Meat. With Beyond Meat's administrative and R&D costs continuing to go up and their gross margins shrinking even with growing revenues, do you think Beyond Meat is a good long-term buy at this price? Uh, I have to tell you, the kinds of stocks that are going down right here, Rob, are stocks like Beyond Meat that are losing money with no real plans to make money. And as long as they don't have that, I think that that stock is one to avoid, not one to buy. Let's go to Nick in Missouri. Nick. Mr. Kramer, how are we doing? I am doing well. Thank you, Nick. How about you? Good, good. Good. I heard it was uh, your birthday recently. Yes, it was. Thank you. I was off during it, but uh, thank you so much for mentioning (laughs) it. Thank you. Yeah, I've seen you off a a couple times there. Um, Yeah, I'll get right to it. So obviously we're kind of talking about AMC here, so I'll let you open up and then I'll ask a couple quick questions. Okay, sure. Go ahead. Um, So like main thing to me, like to my understanding, like Dark Pool is created to handle like large orders from institutional buyers. So if Gary's openly saying there's 99 to 95% being routed to dark pool, don't you see that's some sort of con, like, congelusion there? No, no. And, you know, look, we just we, we worry about fundamentals. We don't really worry about the trading. If we get the right price for whatever reason, then we are buyers of that stock. That's my point. Scott in North Carolina. Scott. Booyah, Jim. First time caller. Good to have I'm, you on the show. Uh, from Wake- from Wake Forest, North Carolina. Oh, hey, wow. Calling, uh, yep, calling on uh, Intel. Uh, they announced a $20 billion semiconductor ma- manufacturing facility that's going to be up and running in 2025. It's going to fill the void of semiconductor chips, as we all know today. Right. Last, last month's earnings reports, revenue up 3.5%. 
PEs at nine, 9%, dividend yield at 3.24%. What's your take on it? Well, look, when I, for a growth stock, I don't really care that much about having a big yield. And the growth stock that I do like in that segment, I like both AMD and NVIDIA. Both of them own for the Chapel Trust. I don't want to own Intel, which I think 2025, as much as that sounds near, is very far if you're in the semiconductor business. All right. Now, when you get a geopolitical-induced sell-off, an existential exogenous sell-off, you have to do some buying unless you think the event could be totally cataclysmic. And I don't think this one will be. On May money today, Kramer was uh, – oh, boy, sorry. Carrier, that's what happens, your vacation. Carrier was a glimmer of green in today's tape. So is Kramer. And I'm seeing what could be behind the strength with the company's top brands. Then Mattel beat expectations for the fourth quarter. So could the stock continue to be fun and games and profits going into the rest of the year? Let's check in with the CEO. And experts are concerned about the potential for cyber attacks amid the Russia-Ukraine crisis. I'm learning more about what can be done to stop the hackers and can make money for your portfolio when we sit down with the CEO of Palo Alto Networks. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. Here's a little lesson for you. Whenever the market gets steamrolled by, say, a terrifying exogenous event, for example, Russia invading parts of Ukraine, where they've been arming insurgents for years. I like to look for the stocks that defy the tape, the ones that were really able to rally. Take Carrier Global, the heating, ventilation, and air conditioning unit of the old United Technologies. It was spun off as an independent company a couple of years ago. It is so much better now. Thanks to the recent inflation woes and rate hikes, though, Carrier stock has pulled back from the high 50s to the mid-40s over the past few months. But this is a great industrial company with terrific earnings, one that reported a much better than expected quarter earlier this month. Now, the stock hasn't been able to get much traction uh, as the market's been so ugly. But today they, they did tell a good story at a bullish analysis event, and the stock did rally 3%, very ugly tape. So could this be the moment when the stock starts turning around? Let's take a closer look with Dave Gitlin, the chairman and CEO of Carrier Global, to get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. Gitlin, welcome back to Man Money. 
Jim, thank you so much for having me. All right, so Dave, I think that the uh, line that you drew in this amazing analyst meeting was that this is not a cyclical company that when the Fed starts raising rates is going to collapse, but instead it has what we call secular growth. It's got meaningful trends going for it. Can you outline some of these meaningful trends in English for our regular viewers so that they know that there's a difference between secular and cyclical and it's not like a washing machine versus religion? Absolutely, Jim. We talked about a few secular trends. There's more money being spent on sustainability. We know there's going to be more environmental regulations. We know that there's going to be more companies that are making zero emissions targets. So there's more money being spent on sustainability. That is right in our wheelhouse. There's more money being spent on healthy, indoor, safe environments. That's exactly what we do. That is not cyclical. That is secular. And that'll be here to stay. And we know there's more spending money being spent on safe and effective distribution of things like vaccines and, and refrigerated foods. So what COVID has done is shined a light on the criticality of things like safe indoor environments and effective distribution of vaccine. Trends that are here to stay play right to our strengths. And that's why we talked about sales being consistently up 6 to 8%. By the way, we're coming off a year where we were up 15%. We've guided to high single digits this year. So we feel very, very good about sustained growth. At the same time, you did have a billion dollars of inflation headwinds. Uh, if I'm at home and I hear about inflation, 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 why should I want to own the stock of carrier? Because we can drive price. So we, what we've done is come into this year with eyes wide open on inflation. The truth is last year we kind of chased it. This year we've taken a very sober and realistic look at it. And we've said that the rates that we saw in 4Q, we've assumed continue throughout this year. So we said we have to price accordingly. A billion of inflation, a billion of costs. We know that we know how to go drive it. We're confident we will go drive that. On top of that, we're going to control the controllables, drive 300 million of costs out of the system, 100 million of GNA out of the system. So drive down costs, drive down price, drive growth in these secular tailwinds and let that drop through. Last year, we grew margins 80 basis points. This year, we're saying we're going to grow, despite all the inflation, we're going to grow another 75 bips of margin expansion, strong cash conversion, and keep driving that for the future. Okay, so uh, five years ago, the only thing we knew about Carrier was uh, that President Trump was angry. He didn't want an Indiana facility closed. To me, when I read about Carrier, I said, wow, I don't know. This, this outfit does sound like it's a little lackadaisical. They then spin it out. Uh, if which time people say laser focus, their eyes roll, but they shouldn't. Tell me about the Carrier you inherited versus the Carrier that is now. Oh, it's a completely different carrier. And I can tell you, it's, there's such an energy in the system. Following our spin, we said that we would do a few things. Create a new carrier, carrier that's externally focused, focused on innovation, investing in growth. We've done all those. We've grown significantly. We've been externally focused. We said that we'd become a solutions company rather than equipment provider. And that involves driving aftermarket sales. Our aftermarket revenues were growing at about 3% CAGR prior to spin. Last year, we grew, we grew double digits. And now what we've said is we're going to go 3x the rate that we used to grow in aftermarket. So digitally enabled aftermarket and providing our, our customers with solutions. They need sustainability solutions. They need healthy indoor environments. They need the, uh, our pharma customers. They need effective distribution of vaccines. 50% of vaccines never get administered in part due to issues with the cold chain. We're addressing that. We have a partnership with AWS for a new digital platform we call Links. Driving solutions into, into our customers' wheelhouse is exactly what we do. Okay, so let's say I'm an industrial company CEO, and I see my prices going up, and I say, look, this has got to stop somehow. 
uh, I actually want the Fed to move. Did it ever occur in your thinking that you actually would like the Fed to take a hard stand because maybe then some of your raw costs would go down? Well, look, you know, I think that for us, we feel like we have a very good handle on our inflationary issues. We're 70 percent black on some of the things that we care about, like steel, aluminum, copper. So we've taken, again, a very constructive approach to some of these inflationary pressures. Our job is to step back and control what we control. And we've been doing that. We've been driving growth. We've been driving costs out of the system. We've been driving up our automation hours. We've been dual sourcing. We've been localizing some of the spend. We've been driving costs out of the supply chain, driving costs out of GNA. So I think we're managing inflation through price. We're driving costs out of the system. And the key to drive long-term shareholder value is growth. We've been doing it organically. And by the way, Jim, another factor is you will remember when we spun from UTC, we had $10 billion of net debt. As we sit here today, we have less than four. So now we're playing offense on M&A. We're going to soon close on our announced acquisition of Toshiba's HVAC business. We're looking at other acquisitions. We've been returning cash to shareholders through a 25% increase in our dividend this year, a $1.6 billion buyback this year. We'll look at continued more of that. So we have an ability to now use our cash position to play offense, which is exciting. Now, last question. If I'm over in Europe and I'm watching and I'm in uh, Germany, I'm in uh, Italy, France, I'm sitting there worried so much about the pipeline of natural gas from Russia. Had they been building the buildings right to begin with using carrier HVAC, would they be in the jam that they're in right now? Look, clearly, energy efficient solutions go a long way and can reduce the reliance on fossil fuels. And that's what you're seeing both in Europe, you're seeing in the United States, you're seeing it throughout the world. So where you are, Jim, in New York City, what they're doing is they're going to mandate uh, a reduction of 40 percent of greenhouse gas emissions in large buildings by 2030, 80 percent reduction by 2050. So you're going to see a lot more building owners spend a lot more on energy efficient solutions that drive more electrification, more electric heat pumps. It's one of the reasons we did this Toshiba acquisitions. That's all about sustainability. It's a more modular concept, more sustainable, less reliance on natural gas and other fossil fuels. And it's more energy efficient. It's good for the, it's good for our customers. It's good for their ESG goals. It's good for our ESG goals. And it's good for business. Well, I got to tell you, this is a very tough tape or else your stock would have a multi-day move because that's how terrific the analyst meeting was. I urge people to look. It's a lot of pages, but it's a very quick read. Believe me. Dave Gitlin, chairman and CEO of Carrier Global, C-A-R-R. Thank you so much, Dave, for coming back on Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. We can't just invest for today. It doesn't mean we should invest for five years. That doesn't work either. But we can take a look at great companies like Carrier that are brought down by this market and think it isn't always going to be as tough as it is right now in the stock market. Man, money's back in for the break. Coming up, the market is no game. But this stock's toys are spreading joy all over Wall Street. Mattel joins Kramer next. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Even in the midst of a hideous and seemingly endless market-wide sell-off, some stocks have managed to work their way higher. Stocks like Kramer Fabe Mattel. Two weeks ago, the iconic toy maker reported really just a blowout quarter, living top, a big top and bottom line beat, and fueled by double-digit sales growth. At a time when everyone's been worried about rising costs, Mattel put up some excellent margins thanks to its strong pricing power and cost cuts. This was not a call dominated by supply chain issues. Even better, management gave a magnificent full-year forecast and also raised its previously issued financial targets for 2023, raised them significantly. In response, the stock jumped more than 7%, and then since then, it's continued to run. I'll pull back a little bit today, but what didn't? Even after this move, Mattel is trading at just 13 times next year's earnings. I think it's ridiculously cheap. This is one of my favorite moment of year turnaround stories. You know that. It's now quite a double if you've been listening, yet you're still getting it for next to nothing. Do not uh, take it from me. Let's talk to Enon Kreis. He is the turnaround artist, chairman, and CEO of Mattel. He had a better read on his long-term strategy after a terrific Gales event last party. Mr. Kreis, welcome back to Mad Money. Hello, Jim. Great to be here. All right. So the turnaround is complete, shifting to growth mode. What does that mean? Well, it has been a remarkable journey for Mattel, and our financial results reflect the continuous strong progress on our strategy. We had the highest annual growth rate in decades and two consecutive years of increasing market share. As you said, our turnaround is complete, and we're now in growth mode. Our strength is broad-based. We expect to continue gaining market share with strong growth in 22 and 2023, and we are not stopping there. It seems to me when I first met you, you said, don't get too excited, Jim. I got to fix the balance sheet. And then after done the balance sheet, I got to fix the franchises. And after do the franchises, we will do the stuff that you're really interested in, the intellectual property, the movies, the kinds of things that you do so well. Are we there with the latter? Well, it's, it's been a great journey on the toy side. As you know, over the last four years, we grew our adjusted EBITDA by eightfold. We continue to improve gross margin and achieved more than a 1,000 basis points improvement, as well as operating income margin that grew by more than 1,800 basis points. We are now shifting gear into our entertainment strategy and growing our entertainment offering with more content, consumer product, and digital experiences. And I'm making great progress in that area as well. All right, so let's the Barbie just- movie. I'm sorry. This is what I want you to talk about is this movie. Someone I was speaking to a younger person today interviewed said, look, this movie is going to be a hot movie. I don't know. I don't know how these things happen that someone knows it's going to be hot. But this Barbie movie could be blockbuster. We're incredibly excited about the movie. Uh, it has a great cast, great creative package with Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling, America Ferreira, Simu Liu and Kate McKinnon. 
directed by Greta Gerwig, which is, who is one of the most prolific filmmakers of our time. We're very excited, and Barbie overall just continued to thrive. Barbie was the number one property globally for the year, in fact, for the second year in a row, and continued to grow, continued to innovate, and represent the world as consumers see them as see it today. So great prospect for Barbie. A lot of momentum in the movie is going to be worth waiting for. Let's get specific about what you've done with Barbie. I was most proud of you. What do we have for Black History Month? The Ida B. Wells doll. Now, does something like that, is that just window dressing, or do you put money behind it and get it sold? Look, Barbie has the highest full-year gro- uh, uh, growth and uh, total uh, gross billing on record. As I said, it was the number one property globally. It remains uh, the number one U.S. dollar property each week in 2021 per NPD. And we're focusing another growth year for Barbie in 2022. Barbie at 63 is the most diverse doll in the market. It continues to evolve, be more relevant, more timeless and timely. And it really is a modern reflection of the, of the world for today's consumers. Barbie's purpose has never been more relevant than it is today. And we expect it to continue to thrive with more innovation, more creativity and more relevance. Now, uh, I was talking with someone today who, when I said that you had moved into NFTs and that sounded like a gimmick, told me that, no, I mean, NFT from Mattel are hot, they're traded and they're worth a great deal. Can you give us an example of what people are trading? And apparently we're talking about tens of thousands of dollars kids are trading here. I mean, kid, individual kids, right? Well, the combination of uh, a large fan base, highly engaged fan base, and the collectability value of Barbie, as well as Hot Wheels and some of our other brands, give us a real opportunity, exciting opportunity, to participate in a growing space in, a, in, in the metaverse, which is all about engagement and, and community creation. And Barbie is very much ahead of the curve in that area as well. We had already did three campaigns, three NFT campaigns that uh, give us very positive, very positive indication in terms of the engagement and interest consumers have with our brands. This will be another growth opportunity for Mattel in another area where we expect to continue to capture the full value of our intellectual properties. But we can't talk about them without talking about the prosaic uh, card games. People are still playing card games even after the pandemic's over, correct? Absolutely. The, uh, the physical play is here to stay. We're seeing it in our product. We're seeing our product resonating with consumers at level we have not seen in years. Uno is the number one card game in the, in the industry overall. And we continue to grow our businesses across categories. In fact, we grew in six of seven categories where we operate. We grew market share in every measured market per NPD. So our success and performance has been broad-based, not driven by just one category, one brand, or one region. It was pretty comprehensive. And because of that, we continue to expect growth in 22 and 23 and outpace the industry. All right, last question. Why so many people get caught in supply chain? I mean, look, a lot of your stuff is plastic. A lot of stuff is made overseas. Why don't I hear you moaning about about not being able to make enough money because of supply chain and inflation? It's not that we have not been impacted, but we were able to navigate and work through the disruption and put product on shelf and aim to cater for the demand that is out there for our product. Our team did an excellent job 
in anticipating some of the disruption. We took mitigating actions, and we are in a we're in a place where our supply supply chain is a competitive advantage for Mattel. We expect to grow in the first quarter, in spite of disruption, and expect also to achieve growth for the full year, as I said. But so all in all, supply chain, you do right. see challenges, but we're able to work through them and navigate through the disruption. Well, congratulations. You have exceeded everything you told me you could possibly do by maybe two or threefold. And I, I just a really incredible turnaround. Enon Kreis, Chairman and CEO of Mattel. Congratulations on everything. Thank you. Guys, it's still a cheap stock. This man is just coin money as far as I'm concerned. The product is real. The whole shooting match is real. Man, money's back in Coming up, is Palo Alto Networks the company to anchor the cybersecurity side of your portfolio? They're fresh off earnings, and Kramer finds out next. The past few months have been absolutely brutal for high-flying growth stocks, but some of these companies are genuinely profitable. And when they get beaten down hard enough, well, they bounce. Consider the case of Palo Alto Networks, the fantastic cybersecurity company with a stock that's pulled back more than 100 points. That's crazy. After the close tonight, Palo Alto reported yet another blowout quarter. A terrific top and bottom line beat. Excellent guidance for the current quarter. Even better, management raised their full-year forecast, which is why the stock is exploding in after hours trading. Could this be the beginning of the next major move for the stock? Let's dig deeper with Nikesh Arora. He's the chairman and CEO of Palo Alto Networks to learn more about the quarter and what comes next. Mr. Arora, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you for having me back, Jim. Okay, so Nikesh had a high-quality problem. On your quarter, you said in the conference call that you are having trouble Demand is outstripping your supply for your next-gen firewall. I also saw you had a big increase in military orders. Can I have to therefore believe that we are at the front line of trying to stop some of the native national bad actors and that you're able to do it? Well, Jim, you and I have been doing this for a while now, and I've been telling you that cybersecurity is going to become more and more relevant and important in our times. And you're seeing that in spades. We're seeing nation-state threats, we're seeing threats towards companies, we're seeing large supply chain attacks. So that is the environment we're living in. And with the more and more we rely on digital transformations, on technology, on e-commerce, everything that we do is now fundamentally dependent on technology. In that environment, you have to keep your stuff safe. And that requires cybersecurity. So you're seeing the, the effects of that. Now, you mentioned that right now we are uh, taking hours or even days or months to remediate threats, obviously unacceptable, particularly if it's a Russia, it's North Korea, it's a China. What are you offering that can cut that time down? Well, Jim, I came to Palo Alto three and a half years ago, and I was flabbergasted when I learned that it takes us tens of days as an industry to respond to threats, and you'd find out months after hacks that data was exfiltrated. And that's not the way we can protect our enterprises or our critical infrastructure. You need to be able to stop the stuff as it's happening. Now, the best analogy I can give you that Nirzuk gave in his video on this is that you know, if you take a car which you've been driving and you add adaptive cruise control, you have you know, parking assist or lane change assist, you don't turn that into an autonomous car. You have to start from scratch and build it from scratch. So what we've done in the last three and a half years, we've taken our own response time at Powell's Networks down to under a minute. We stop the threat or we stop the attack as it's happening. That's what every one of our customers need. We've taken that, we've put that up, 
in packaged into a product and working with 10 of our design partner customers to launch it, try and get them to an under a minute real-time response. And that's what we think the industry needs. Now, that's what we're calling okay, so you're doing this, this is not humans trying to stop machines. This is machines that are faster and better Stop trying to stop inferior machines. How did you develop these products? Because we obviously didn't have them in light of some of the things we've seen. Well, you know, Jim, uh, when I came to now, I figured we paid a lot of technical debt by acquiring a lot of companies and making sure we got right. ahead of the line and best of breed in various categories. This is something we at Palo Alto Networks are extremely proud of because this is homegrown innovation. We started from scratch, designed it by ingesting the right data, analyzing it, and stopping things as they were happening. And then we put ourselves to test by being the first guinea pig of this platform. And we're delighted with the outcome we have, and we'd like to bring it back and share it with all of our customers out OK, now, a lot of p- companies issue press releases. Periodically, I hear again and again, it's Microsoft 365. That's the problem. That's the problem. January 12th, you issue Palo Alto Networks joins Microsoft 365 networking partner program. Can we stop with the Microsoft problem? Right, Jim, the problem is not any one vendor. At the end of the day, every company deploys a myriad of technology. The question is, once you have it figured out, do you have enough fences around it to protect it? Do you have enough analytics to watch behavior and make sure when something becomes a bad actor? And that requires a lot of artificial intelligence. That requires a lot of machine learning. And you've got to be applied that. You've got to be able to apply that to all your data. I don't think Microsoft's a problem. I don't think anybody else is a problem. I think the problem is customers have built a, a, a technology infrastructure and stack, which has a lot of technical debt in it. And as until that transforms or until you put security around it, that uses and leverages data, we're never going to be safe. All right. So is this something that is, are we getting away from more threats because we're moving back to the office? Are we moving back? Are we doing the hybrid no matter what? And we're still unprotected. Well, Jim, you know, the more we make our systems available to our customers, the more we make our systems available to our employees from all parts of the world, we continue to expand our attack surface. That's one part. And the other part of it is, you know, this is the easiest way to to basically attack someone or crimp them down or stop them in their tracks because you can create chaos by shutting down critical infrastructure. So I think what's happening is the number of threats are increasing. The security landscape is getting more and more complex. So I think it's not that, you know, by going to work or not going to work, we're increasing the threat landscape. It's just the complexity of technology and this continued reliance on technology is creating that environment. And we just need to make sure security is a first-class citizen in your thinking, in your strategy as a company. Right now, I wanted to get a sense, both banks and military, are they ready for whatever the Russians throw at us? Or are there so many? Is it still greenfield for you? My hope is, by the way, that the large banks are, have hired you and that the government has hired you so that I cannot worry about what Russia's going to do to us. Well, we're, we're, we're delighted that we partner with many of the large banks as well as many parts of the U.S. government and other governments to be able to protect them from a cybersecurity perspective. But look, we've witnessed some activity in Ukraine. Uh, people have seen cyber attacks. We've seen foreign government establishments in Ukraine, which have seen a higher intensity of attacks. So clearly there are more attacks that are happening right now, trying to destabilize things, trying to get things out of, out of whack. But we're working with all of these partners. We are actually helping some of our key partners 
monitor their systems real time to make sure that there are no attacks on their critical infrastructure because it's important to make sure we keep the country running and keep the technology in place to be able to deliver services. Okay, the last question I have, I think it's somewhat uh, what you and I would talk about off the desk when you video on. My goal would be that I would not be the one who got attacked. And therefore, I would say, hell, if I hire Palo Alto, they're going to go after somebody else because they know it just takes too much time to go after Palo Alto customer. Are we there yet? I think so, uh, Jim. You know, one of the things which we're very excited about is that more and more strategic partnership conversations are happening between our customers and ourselves because today we bring an entire portfolio of capability and products where customers don't have to go to multiple vendors to solve the problem. So from that perspective, we are providing integrated security, which is best of breed, and we're seeing the benefits of that, and you see those benefits of the numbers. I think we're still in the very early stages of those large-scale deals and partnerships that are in ahead of us at Palo Alto Networks. Well, I salute you. It's obvious in a terrible market. You have finally come up with some. You have more demand than almost anybody else I know, and you're going to be able to meet that demand. Nikesh Aurora, just congratulations on a magnificent quarter and a very tough time. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. Well done. Well done. Okay, that's Nikesh Aurora, Chairman CEO of Palo Alto. Here's how the stock has worked. When it's up 25, that means it's not done. It can go higher. That's crazy money trying to get in before bigger money gets in. Bad Money's back here to the break. No need for a meteorologist. Today's forecast calls for thunder and lightning. The lightning round is next. It is time for the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski, die. Tell the lightning round. What's over, Daryl, California? Daryl! Hey, uh, first time uh, caller, long time listener. I love those. What's going on, partner? It's your world. I'm just playing on it. Listen, I have some uh, a little bit of mad money. I was thinking about uh, putting in those sides for Christopher. I love that. I mean, but they're estimated to lose a lot of money. But more importantly, this is the kind of company right now that is so out of favor that unless you uh, are willing to take a beating, which I don't encourage, I think you have to take a pass on it. Let's go to Ernesto in New Jersey. Ernesto. Booyah. Booyah, Ernesto. What's up? question. Is American Airlines stock a buy right now, or should you hold off? It's losing a lot of money. We're not recommending stocks that are losing a lot of money unless they can come to profitability fruition in the next year at least. Dave in Michigan. Dave. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Dave. Thank you. Um, I own Uber. Short recently they had a good financial report, and the stock has dropped. I'm wondering why. And well, because they're not really still- making money. I need straight-out earnings to recommend a stock on this show because my job is to to preserve wealth during a period of tremendous turbulence and then to make wealth when we have the opportunity. Jack in Ohio. Jack. Hey, thanks for your help, Jimmy. Of course, Jack. It keeps going up and coming out with good news. Add on pullbacks. ABBV ad. ABV is still cheap. It's still got a good dividend. Large, large position for the investing club. And I say stay long. Dennis in New York. Dennis. Hey, Jimmy Chill. Booyah. Yo, the chill man was in action this weekend. What's going on? 
In business, you either innovate or you die. I never want to invest in a business that's taking a pass on innovation because it's got no future. But I'm not in favor of innovation purely for the sake of innovation. In the end, the goal is to make money. This is business. Whether you're talking space travel, genome marking, electric vehicles, or autonomous driving, there needs to be a path to profitability or it is not worth owning. I mention this because I've been braided and bombarded with criticism for failing to recognize the genius of Kathy Wood and her embattled ARC ETFs. Every time I say something negative, people call me a Luddite. But I love innovation. I just don't like the way ARC invests in innovation. Allow me to explain. First, I happen to have had the good fortune of being with an old friend, Dave Cody, former CEO of Honeywell, this weekend at his third annual Young Entrepreneurs and Professionals Networking event. We spent some time talking to these talented young people. I thought that one of the light motifs of the event was Dave's excellent book, Winning Now and Winning Later, about how you have to do both if you want to be successful. Cody makes it very clear that you can't just sacrifice short-term performance on the order of long-term success. And I agree with him. But many of Kathy Wood's favorite companies are run by people who simply don't care about the short term at all. I think these companies came public too early, and I question actually whether they're deserving of your capital. Second, Scott Wapner's stunning interview with Kathy Wood last week was not about Scott playing gotcha. Wood played gotcha of herself. She revealed herself as a money manager who's contemptuous of short-term performance. She thinks anything can be justified if you take a five-year view. Here's the thing. If you think the market's wrong in the near term, you need to remember that the market can stay wrong longer than you can stay solvent. And that's assuming you'll ultimately be proven right five years later, which, by the way, is not a sure thing. Wood's attitude reminds me of how a disciplined blackjack player can win 50.5% of the time, but only if you have enough money to ride out a real dry period. Somehow, because Wood is playing with her investors' money, she believes she can ride it out. As someone who used to run a hedge fund, this drives me nuts. It's like she feels no responsibility as a fiduciary, despite her massive recent losses. Losses driven by catastrophic misjudgments of both stocks and the state of the market. Now, a year ago, and you can get it on YouTube, a year ago, Wood t- herself told Scott that if interest rates go higher, presumably because of inflation and a stronger economy, the market will not be kind to her favorite stocks. Yet it meant nothing to her when the doomsday scenario occurred. She says not to worry if you have a five-year time frame, but you could go bust in the interim. Third, there is a total lack of humility here. Because Wood only focuses on technology and not the price of a company's stock, she can obliterate capital by of an eye. Oh, sure, Tesla, Tesla, Tesla. When she, interviewed by, when she was interviewed by Scott a year ago, she spoke lovingly of a company called Palantir, which she was aggressively buying at around 29 and change, building up a billion-plus dollar position in the cybersecurity and surveillance company that's mainly a government contractor. I'm sure she got some lower, but that day it was at 29. Please go to YouTube. Wood went on and on about how their government work would ultimately lead to ample non-government profits down the line. Now, fast forward to this year's defrocking. While Scott asked her about any defeat she had had, something she refused to acknowledge in any way, shape, or form, she was blowing out of her Palantir stock like there was no tomorrow, this time at 11 and change. This despite the fact that Palantir had just reported strong revenues with tremendous growth in its non-government business, exactly what Wood wanted. 
Yet she bought a ton in the high 20s around this time last year and then blew out a massive amount at 11 because she ignored the price the whole time. Doesn't matter if you're right about the business when you pay too much for the stock. And that's what happened here. Which brings me to the final issue. If you're betting against the ARK Innovation ETF, you aren't betting against innovation itself. Don't kid it. Stop kidding. You're betting against a reckless way of managing money. I constantly tell you that discipline is more important than conviction. That's especially true when you're running someone else's money. That's a situation where you have no business betting purely on your own convictions. It could lead to intolerable losses, as we've seen with ARK ever since it peaked in February of last year. That's why we won't chase innovation at all costs. We try to have a sense of the market and buy quality stocks at low prices in a disciplined fashion because anything else is asking for trouble. Trouble that can be avoided if you follow the rules of professional portfolio management. I like to say that there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.